I invite you to turn, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 12. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. The Bible has a great deal to say about the righteousness of the government that is over us. And in these Old Testament passages, this instruction is given to us in the references to the kings who ruled. And the people of God are to be concerned about their king or their government and those who have authority over them. And this passage says, It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. And it's an abomination in the sight of God, and it's an abomination in the sight of God's people for the king to commit wickedness. We have gotten the idea that somehow or other, uh, the fundamentalists and those of us who are conservative shouldn't pay too much attention to the affairs of government, that we ought to spend our time just saving souls. Well, we must save souls, all right, but we also must be responsible for the government that's over us and for the conduct of that government in relationship to the righteousness of God. And it's this that the Bible speaks of when it says righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And the standard of this righteousness by which sin is recognized and sin is committed is none other than the law of our God. Now in view of the situation that has developed here in our own country, and in view of what your pastor has been doing these last few weeks and the schedule that he has cut out for himself for the next four weeks, I felt that I ought to raise some of these questions with you and with all our people in this immediate area. We must see that our Puritan fathers who fled the old world to get away from governmental domination and persecution were motivated by love for the word and by desire to honor the Lord in their lives and in their conduct. They wanted to live under government where they wouldn't be persecuted. And they wanted to live as free men where they could serve the Lord and worship him. And in order to do that, they left an old world. And they made their way across a troublous and perilous North Atlantic and pioneered and cut a nation out of a wilderness. And the basic ideals which were in their minds, the motives that moved their arms and directed their paths, had to do with God. God. Faithfulness to God. The service of God. The belief that God uh, had to be honored in all the affairs of their lives, including their government and the kind of society in which they lived. And these were the basic and glorious concepts which made possible the development of the republic of which you and I are part. It was this religious persecution from the old world in which the political powers lined up with religious powers in order to afflict particular religious minorities and religious groups. And it was this more than any other one factor, beloved,
that led to the colonizing of the new world and the world of which you and I are a part here in the United States of America. Now this situation which has developed in our own country is being paralleled now by the persecution of Eon Paisley in Ireland that I shall speak of tonight. But I'm primarily concerned just now in setting before you afresh the issues which we face as Christian people in what has happened in the state of Pennsylvania. This Resolution 160 that we've been speaking about is something that every Christian in this country needs to understand. The principles that are transgressed, the issues that have been raised by the political leaders when they passed this resolution in the lower House of Representatives of the state of Pennsylvania. We endeavored to have it repealed, and as you know, we went to Harrisburg on Lincoln's birthday. Many of us did. We had 8,000 or more there. And we had a wonderful time of testimony. And we let it be known that we believe that the political leaders under the Democratic Party, because they are in control, had seriously transgressed these principles and had created a great offense. We tried to make that clear. We did everything in our power to impress upon these legislators that they had committed a very great abomination so far as the history of our republic is concerned, so far as the tradition of the state of Pennsylvania is concerned. But you know that our endeavors have been in vain. And we said that if the political leaders were not willing to make this right, that we would call a second convocation in which we would bring these great issues before the Christian public and we would bring them before the people in the light of the teaching of the Word of God. And we again would seek to impress the political leaders of the community with the fact that they had gone out of bounds so far as their civil authority and their responsibilities are concerned. You know that we made three different efforts to get our petitions, which we had signed, presented to the body itself. And three times we were frustrated by the Democrats, ladies and gentlemen. And I'd say just the same thing about the Republicans or anybody else that would do a thing like this. It's not the political party in itself that I'm concerned about. It is the religious issue that is involved which we want all the Christian people in the community to recognize and then to stand with us in seeking to have this matter rectified. We are seeking as a religious company to redress grievances which have been put upon us by a political unit here in the United States of America. We were unsuccessful. We now have the petitions. We're keeping them simply as exhibits. We should have been able to have presented them without any difficulty. Now we have arranged for this great convocation to be held on September 24th, a Saturday afternoon, on the Capitol grounds. And everybody that was there last time, I pledged you that you'd bring at least three more people with you this time. And we left, saying we would return if necessary. We have now found it necessary to make that return trip to Harrisburg. And we're asking for 30,000 Christians, 30,000 Americans who recognize that some great fundamental principles have been transgressed as they relate not only to our heritage, not only to our history, but to our concept of our relationship to God. 
No state authority of any kind has a right to interfere in these matters that concern our religious ministries, our religious conflicts, our religious testimonies. No political unit in this blessed land of the United States has any constitutional right to lift up its hand in favor of one religious party as opposed to another religious party. And no political authority in this blessed land which we love has any right whatsoever to attack and demean and defame a particular religious leader or a particular religious movement to advance the interest of another religious cause and then to come to the defense of a particular religious organization in the country. All of this is completely out of bounds so far as political action in the United States is concerned. Now, we have arranged some 30 of these preliminary rallies in this past week. I was out in rally number 14. And your pastor's been going out into these various communities, and I must say I, I like the state of Pennsylvania pretty well. We've been all over it, up and down and across. We've covered it by plane back and forth. And it's just filled with a great company of God-fearing people in the state of Pennsylvania. And they're beginning to recognize, as we tell the story, and as this story is circulating its way down through the churches and down through the grassroots, they're beginning to recognize that what Dr. McIntyre is doing is bringing home to the people our great ideals of liberty as they are found in our faith in God. Now, beginning from now on, we're going to intensify the campaign, of course. And I'm going to be going out every day, and I'm going to be speaking on radios. And we have a plan right now to take an entire day, a full day, on WXUR in advance of this and be there with all these different interests and all these letters and all these things and literally command, if we can, the Christian public throughout this area concerning this vital issue. If this matter can be stopped and if it can be dealt with in the state of Pennsylvania, then the same forces that sought to use political power here at hand will hesitate to use it in other states and also even on a national level. And we believe that this is the place where the fight must be made. And God has raised the issue in his providence and it's up to us to meet it and to stand up to it and to ask God Almighty to undertake for us. Beloved, when I talk of these things, I take you back to the days of William Penn when he had to leave the old world and came to Penn's colony to have religious toleration. When I speak of these things, I take you back to the day when the pilgrims left Europe and they came to this new world with their Bibles and with their love of God and with their children, with a desire that they would live in a land where the political authorities would not harass them and where the political authorities would not use their political power to interfere with their ministries and with their activities. And we have reached a day when the political authorities in the state of Pennsylvania, the dominant ruling power, moved into a state legislature and passed a resolution and sought to lay its hand upon a particular religious group in order to defame it and in order to turn the public against the things that these leaders were standing for. 
Now the issue is very plain, the issue is very clear. Now this text which I've taken here says, It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. And if you've heard me denounce this resolution 160, I have been calling it an abomination. And I haven't hesitated to call it an abomination because my Bible says it is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. For the throne is established by righteousness. And that which commends our ruling powers to us as Christians should be a commitment to the righteous laws of God as these laws relate to our social order and our relationship between each other as free men. Now I know there's some of you people listening to me right now in my own church. Some of you refused to go to Harrisburg last time because you said Dr. McIntyre was getting involved in politics. And some of you people who took that viewpoint are here listening to me this morning. And I pray God that you will change your attitude. I pray God that you'll look at this text. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. And that text is not taken from some secular journal. That text is not taken from some resolution of a church assembly. That church is not taken from some speech of some religious leader somewhere. That text is found in the Word of God. And you people who have a sanctimonious fundamentalism around here and are so pious that when your preacher goes out and does this sort of thing on the basis of the Word of God, you sit back and say, well, my preacher's getting into politics. I'm not going to bother. Now, I've got some of you people in this church. And I'm coming to you today. I've come from a jail in Ireland, ladies and gentlemen. Last Saturday week, I went inside the doors of a jail to see two and three of my fellow preachers who stand where I stand for the Word of God and who deal with these same great issues and have dealt with them in Ireland. And now Ireland is overturned. And Ireland is being changed by the power of the preaching of the gospel. But these men are in jail. And you just wait until the day that I get in jail. You'll apologize too. And, oh yeah, you'll say it's too bad. Mr. Mangtyre shouldn't have carried on quite such a vigorous fight. If he hadn't, he wouldn't have been the subject of attack like he is. And there's so many other ways he could have done it. And if he'd just stayed home and prayed about it, that would have taken care of it. Oh, this sweet, pious fundamentalism that won't fight. I'm weary of it. And I see it on every hand today. And we must have men who will turn to the Bible. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. Do you mean to say if a man takes a text like that from the Bible and preaches on it, he's dealing in politics? No, he's dealing in the Word of God and he's telling you people who have it in your hand to deal with these great questions as relate to our land that you must stand up for some righteousness. Stand up for some truth. Stand up for some honor. Stand up for some of these things that have to do with the very nature of our God because he's a righteous God. And he said that righteousness will exalt a nation. Righteousness will exalt a nation. And this standard of righteousness, beloved, comes out of this blessed book. And then the passage goes on and it says here, For the throne is established by righteousness. 
And every man today that calls themselves a Christian should be interested in the sin and the iniquity in his country. He ought to be interested in the transgressions that are taking place in high places of these principles of morality. I was even criticized because I used my pulpit to say something about a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I was criticized for that. We have a justice down there who's 67 years old. He's been married four times. And the wife he now has is only 23 years of age. And he got her at a cocktail party. And the one he just had before her is only 26 years of age. And he only had her less than three years before she left him. Now, if that isn't transgression, I don't know what it is. If that isn't sin, then you can take the very words of our Savior. The husband that you now have is not thine own. How many had she had? Eight of them. And it's the Christian public who listen to some preachers who have the Bible on their pulpits holding up these standards of morality and decency and righteousness in the land. And that's what we must have. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. Just take the kings out, if you will. It's an abomination to the Democrats. It's an abomination to the Republicans. It's an abomination to the White House. It's an abomination to the Congress. It is an abomination for those in high position to commit wickedness. And may I say to you, dear people, your pastor standing in this pulpit stands for righteousness in this land. And now we're going every hand, we're being told we must now help build the secular city. All the liberals, it's the secular city, this great secular city we're trying to build. Well, when you get this secular city built, will you kindly tell me who's going to be its God? And when you get this secular city built, what's going to be your standard of right and wrong? I'm interested in building a Christian America. I'm interested in building a country where the standards of righteousness and the standard of right and wrong in Washington, D.C. will be the Ten Commandments. I'm interested in that kind of a country. And it's because I'm interested in that kind of a country that I've been willing to go out night and day across this state of Pennsylvania giving my strength and giving my time trying to reach the people of that state with this issue so that something can happen. And now I'm trying to get people from all over this country to come to Harrisburg on the 24th of September. We want 30,000 people there with their Bibles and coming because we are people who believe that this is the book of righteousness and that this is the book of God and they're taking it out of our schools and they won't let us pray in our schools. And these things, beloved, ought to concern every man who calls on the name of the Lord. Now will you turn please to the 12th Psalm and look at that last verse. The latter part of that 12th Psalm. Why you read through these Psalms and you'll be concerned about what's taking place. Verse 8. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Isn't that a good one? 
Just look at it. You just put up these vile men, you just put up these men that have no love for the standards of morality and the affairs of men. You just put up these men who are using you and using your position and using your vote. You just put up these men and that type of vileness that the Bible speaks of will beget others and beget others and beget others. And the psalmist said, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exhausted. And beloved, the business of the church of Jesus Christ is not to get into direct and immediate politics. The business of the church in Jesus Christ is to create, through the preaching of the gospel, men who have sound minds. Men who are able to delight in the goodness of God in their lives, who can run their own households. And if a man can run his own household and he has some ideals of right and wrong before God, these are the kind of men who ought to be exalted in the land to handle our political affairs for us. And when the churches don't produce the character, when the churches don't produce the new creatures in Christ, when the churches fail to render that service to society, then they are apostate. They have forsaken the standard and the commission to which God has called the church of Jesus Christ. We're salt. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light. We're the lights of the world. And we're to let our light so shine that men may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. This resolution that they passed up there, I might remind you of that, refresh your mind on it just a little. I've dealt with the principles involved. But as most of you know, that resolution 160, the entire body of the resolution dealt with one person in particular, your pastor, and with the American Council of Christian Churches, and then it came to the defense of the National Council of Churches. The resolution went so far as to speak of my ideas being equated with those which are called extremism and, quote, the danger of such views to our country is self-evident. And, of course, in relationship to your pastor, I think in, let's see, I'm, I'm, my, my name is mentioned and direct references are made to me by the personal pronoun ten times in one, two, three, four, five uh, six paragraphs. All of this was the basis for an appeal to the FCC to investigate WXUR. And what all this concerning me had to do with WXUR is still some kind of a mystery. But at any rate, they tied me in uh, with being deposed and defrocked and all these other things that I have been doing, and they used an appeal to the FCC, which, by the way, they had no right to do either, but they used it anyhow, as a cover and as a basis to make this awful attack upon our religious ministry and our religious activities. They did And the papers immediately said, and they've been saying, that the legislature had censored Dr. McIntyre. Well, that's what they say they have done. Imagine a political body singling out a preacher in this country and censoring 
Reverend McIntyre began his ministry with the Presbyterian Church in the USA, but was ousted from the clergy of that denomination in 1936. He built his own house of worship, set up his own church federation, the American Council of Christian Churches. Beloved, they have no right to make judgments and declarations and statements like this concerning me. If they were to do this to some Jewish rabbi in this country, I'd come to his defense. If they do this to some Roman Catholic priest in this country, I would come to his defense. They have no right to do it. Reverend McIntyre began his ministry. What business is it of theirs where I began my ministry? What right do they have to talk about my ministry? That's civil authority. They're civil affairs. I'm a preacher of the gospel. He was ousted from, but was ousted from the clergy of that denomination in 1936. The only good thing about this that I can see is that I go over the state of Pennsylvania and I get, a, I get an opportunity to tell them that I had the privilege of renouncing them and walking out. I have the opportunity to tell them what you and I did back there 30 years ago. Imagine, 36, 46, 56, 66. And they go up there and pass a resolution talking about us and what we did 30 years ago. Well, they intended to do a good job of it while they were at it. And they made this particular survey of our whole life, our whole ministry, our whole activity. And beloved, this is outside of the province of any political unit in the United States of America. Before they made these judgments, before they censured Dr. McIntyre, did I have a hearing? Did I have an opportunity to defend myself before that political assembly? Did I have an opportunity to do anything at all in my own defense? None whatever. And this is the United States of America, beloved. And unless the Christian people rise up and say that this type of an injustice, this type of a transgression of our principles of religious liberty must be stopped by the politicians, it will get worse. Well, I wish you people would go to some of these cow pasture rallies. I was at one the other night out in Indiana, Pennsylvania, and the moon was shining, and People came, 118 cars came, and they lined them up, and they sat out there on the hillside, and they had two dear old men, the old-fashioned type, brought their, their guitars along, and they sat up there and got to playing some of those uh, songs like they do up there in those hills, and you should have seen that crowd. And I liked them so well, I invited them to come to Harrisburg, and we're going to have these guitars down there singing for you people on that afternoon. And one of the songs they have is, they're carrying us off to the clouds to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's an awful lot of faith left in the people of Pennsylvania. And then they come on down here and they say he started his own church federation. Thank God we had a part in starting another church federation in this country. But what business is it of the state of Pennsylvania whether we help start a dozen federations? 
They have the National Council. We've got the American Council, and these are the two. Somebody wants to start a third one, they can do it. Somebody wants to start a fourth one, they can do it. Somebody wants to start a fifth one, they can do it. It's none of their business how many church federations we have in this country. None whatever. And if those of us who don't like the National Council of Churches want to go out and start another church federation, we've got a right to do it. And we've got a right to talk about them and they've got a right to talk about us if they want to. We have the free exercise of religion in this country. And unless you dear people realize the issues that are at stake and realize what's involved in this attack upon religious freedom in our country... We're going to see it go into gradual eclipse and men aren't going to have the freedom that we formerly had. The danger of such views to our country is self-evident. The danger of... Talk about a judgment. Talk about an opinion. Talk about going after... Viewpoints, they have done it. The danger of such views to our country is self-evident. And what's their strategy in dealing with us? Nothing. Don't answer letters. Don't say anything. Don't get anywhere near them. Don't let them get near us. Just keep quiet. That's the strategy. All right, turn with me to Isaiah, please, the 32nd chapter of Isaiah. Chapter verse 1, I want to read you something now that we discovered here the other day. It's a beautiful passage. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Here we get back around this word righteousness again. And princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind. And a covert from the tempest. As rivers of water in a dry place. As the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim. And the ears of them that hear shall hearken. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge. And the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. The vile person shall be no more called liberal. This is, of course, a reference to the reign of our Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to reign. His righteousness will be upon the earth. The knowledge of our Lord will cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. And oh, in those great days, the ears of them that hear, they shall hearken. The eyes of them that see, they shall not be dimmed. And the heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. And then a vile person shall no more be called liberal. 
You know, today, all this filth, all this disobedience, all this sin is being called liberal. I'm liberal. I'm broad-minded. I'm liberal. The new morality. I, one of these Sundays, I'm going to preach a sermon for the young people on our, in our church on this question of the marriage relations. I want to bring it to you. It's new morality. It's in all the books. It's in all these Sunday school publications. It's everywhere. And it is vile. That you can have sex relations before marriage. And then if you're after marriage, you can get somebody else if you want to. Just plain, unadulterated fornication and adultery. That's all it is. But it's the liberals, the liberals, the liberals, the liberals, the liberals. And the vile person shall no longer be called liberal. And that's what the Bible's talking about. And it's these people who come along now in the name of liberalism, in the name of all this liberalism. They're throwing away our standards of righteousness. They're throwing away our standards of personal responsibility in our affairs. Throwing away our standards of our property and our property rights under God. Throwing away all these standards. And they're the liberals. And if you understood what the Bible says about them, they are the vile persons that the Bible talks about. And I have no hesitancy in standing in this sacred pulpit this morning. I'm here to deal with sin as that sin is defined by the Bible. I have no hesitancy to take that blessed text. It is an abomination to kings to do wickedness. And when the political leaders in Pennsylvania, how they schemed and how they planned and how they produced a resolution, and they said, we'll get this resolution through the House of Representatives and that'll give it some standing. That'll give it some recognition. That'll give it the publicity we'd like to have it have across the country and across the state. And by this way, we'll be able to get at these preachers and get at these forces and get at these men who are challenging the things that we're trying to do in this country. And so they do it. And tonight when I tell you the story of Ian Paisley... It was the same liberal political leaders over there in Ireland that began to talk about the spirit of ecumenism. Spirit of ecumenism. Working with the ecclesiastical leaders of the World Council who have the spirit of ecumenism. And the bringing the churches together in a one world church including the reunion with the Roman Catholic Church. And including the reunion of North Ireland with South Ireland. And since South Ireland is Roman Catholic, 95%, and North Ireland is 70% Protestant, the union of the two would have put the Protestants of the North back under Roman Catholic political rule. And it was in the name of ecumenism that the political union was being, uh, being promoted and inspired. And it's in the name of ecumenism that the religious reunion of these great churches were being promoted and it was this man Paisley who began to preach. He preached on the streets. He preached out in these demonstrations and he preached across the length and breadth of North Scotland and North Ireland and the people began to hear him and they're listening to him over in Belfast, Ireland now and this man began to convince the people that the great principles of their faith was at stake and as he dealt with these mighty principles of their faith they began to realize yes, if they had an ecumenical union North and South Ireland then you'd have a 
of political control over North Ireland that they threw off years ago. And so the two forces joining together brought a situation since last April. In five months, North Ireland has been overturned, ladies and gentlemen. And this man Paisley was such a power, he was such a force, Sunday night after Sunday night. And some of you people who think that you're a preacher, that you're a pastor, I am weary of it. I am weary of some of you people in this church that criticize your pastor for standing up for these things. I really am. I see what Paisley's been able to do in Scotland and in Ireland. And the way that man has preached and poured out his soul to heaven. And there's been a fire that's fallen on North Ireland. And the people have repented of their sins and they're repenting of their apostasy. And they're leaving the churches and they're saying, let us come and let us pray. Let us evangelize. Let us win souls. And they're doing it in North Ireland today. Before we get this thing straightened out with Harrisburg, we've got to straighten out a lot of fundamentalists. And some of the people that get all disturbed over little tiny things, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like something else. And the great issues of the moment, the great things that are taking place, that are destroying the testimony of the church, leading countless souls to hell. And you don't seem to think that's our duty. The vile person shall no longer be called liberal. Oh, there must be righteousness in this land. And if the pulpits don't stand up for it, and you Christian people don't stand up for it, and if you're not going to insist upon these great standards, if you're going to wink at them, if you're going to say, well, it doesn't matter, I don't care, what difference does it make? You'll have to answer to your God in that great day when you give an account of your conduct to Him. Each of us shall give an account of ourselves unto God. And that's why we're Protestant, beloved. We're not giving an account of ourselves to any church. You're not giving an account of yourself to Carl McIntyre. You're not giving an account of yourself to any political authorities. You're not giving an account of yourself to the Democratic politicians in Pennsylvania who committed this abomination against our freedom. You're not giving an account of yourself to the White House in this country. You're giving an account of yourself to the throne of God. And that's why we want freedom in order to do it. That's why we're out in this great struggle where it's rough and where it's dangerous. We're out in that great struggle right now with everything we have. So that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached and our Protestant preachers can be kept out of prison by the conniving political leaders and the ecumenical leaders as they put their minds together and try to find some sort of a scheme whereby they can lay hold upon these God-fearing preachers. Yes, this Life magazine story on Mr. Paisley, imagine... We've been trying to get life to report the ICC Congress. We've been trying to get them to give some little inkling somewhere that something was going on. They wouldn't do a thing. All these years they wouldn't do a thing. Now they gave us four full pages with Paisley's full picture. But look at it. The unholy war of Preacher Paisley. That's Life magazine. And how does it start out? Listen to this. Ivan Paisley, 40, an imposing bulk of a man with a Bible in his hand and hatred in his voice. 
And then over here concerning him, they go on and say, this self-styled man of God, he doesn't have an ecumenical ordination. Well, beloved, some of these political leaders better wake up and find out that God can raise up preachers. God can raise up preachers and call them self-styled or whatever you want to call them. They're men from heaven. They have messages to deal with sin and with sinners and to tell the men upon the face of this earth that unless they repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ, there's no hope for them. There's no life outside of Jesus Christ. You know what I told the people last Sunday night in Ireland when I spoke to them? They were all there, that great crowd singing. Oh, beloved. I says the trouble with the rest of the churches in the town is they're dead, is that their preachers aren't in jail. It's the trouble with them. Their preachers haven't done anything to get thrown in jail for. Oh, beloved, you and I are living in the last days. And if we believe the Bible to be the Word of God, which we do, then let's listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, I have to go up to Jerusalem, but I says, I know bonds and imprisonments await me there. But he went. They took me down the main street to a butcher shop there, and there was a butcher man in there cutting beef. You know what he was cutting up for the ladies? Had big signs up there. Paisley steaks. Think of a butcherman calling these steaks Paisley steaks. And they were buying them too. But on the back of his counter, he had these blessed scripture passages. Good old Irishman, but Protestant. Proverbs 16.11. Let me look that one up for you. It was a precious one. I saw it on the wall. And I wrote these down. I don't think he saw me writing these down. But I wrote these, these uh, passages down from the meat market. And uh, in the 16th chapter it is, I guess, the 11th verse. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. And then the next one he had was 2 Corinthians 6 2. 2 Corinthians 6 2. And uh, in this text he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank Thee for these men in prison, three of them. And as I've dealt with these great issues as they concern our responsibility for our political conduct, as I've dealt with these issues as they relate to this awful abomination which was committed in the State House in Pennsylvania, we thank Thee for men like William Penn and for men like the Puritans who left an old world and traveled across a dangerous sea 
just to be liberated from it all. And now, Lord, as these things arise again in our own country, Lord, wake up the people. Especially take care of these fundamentalists that are so pious, so sweet. They even love the devil. Oh, Lord God, help these people to realize that they have a duty in this hour. And may we see a rallying point. Give us some of the fire that they have in Ireland. Give us some of the spirit we saw there last Sunday. Give it in this country. Give us a revival. And oh, thou hast told us that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it's always been, Lord. Speak to the Collingswood people. Speak to the people I talk to on the radio. Speak to the people this week across the land. Father, give us the support we need. Thy word is true. Oh, we long for the day when the vile person shall so longer be called liberal. We long for that day. For we see these transgressions and we see this new morality and we see precious girls sacrificing their virtues and ruining their homes. We see, see young men, young boys throwing away the most precious years of their lives. Lord bless us. For Christ's sake, amen.